Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the agronomist to my water purification, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. Nailed it. First take. What? First take. What? What? <laughs> that is a tongue twister of a word. <laughs> We're back. Oddly enough, because of wibbly wobbly time, timey wiminess. We are recording this episode early because I'm going on vacation. So we just posted the Black Lives Matter episode today. Yes. Like today. Like it just came out by our reckoning. But for you, dear listener, it will be about two weeks <laughs> when you hear this. Or, or more, right? Because we have 80, 80. I'm going to post. My, my plan is to post 88 next Tuesday. So we'll have like three solid weeks of content. All right. We, we were gone for a month, but now we're back with a vengeance. Hell Yeah. Well, as always, let's start off this episode with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on, and we appreciate all of your support. It helps us keep doing what we're doing, which we enjoy tremendously. And Jonathan, happy National Meteor Watch Day. Oh, I like this one. There's something special about just lying down on your driveway and looking up and, and waiting for the meteors. Yeah, plan your night, gather some friends together, a blanket and a... Not in Texas, brother. Yeah, in a, Texas. In a place far from the city lights on a cloudless night. And use that hashtag, National Meteor Watch Day, to share it on social media. So there you go. And on 2020, uh, that might actually be the last thing you see, because I believe we have an asteroid uh, collision scheduled for sometime later in the year to finish us off. No, uh, well, yeah, the right things are going, yes. True that, true that. <laughs> and Department of Corrections, Jonathan, going way, way back to an episode oh, that had... we screw up? Yeah, yeah, I screwed up. Going way back to an episode that Oof. has not aired yet in the last last episode, in 88, which hasn't come out yet in our future, but the past. I talked about Club 33 and how much it costs. I got it wrong. Club 33 corporate membership is $40,000, and an individual membership is $25,000 plus annual dues of $12,000 to get into that Club 33. Disney. I'm not going to say that I've got that kind of money lying around, but I am going to say that that's not unreachable. And considering if you have a membership, you can get into Disneyland for free. So it's like having a really good Disneyland annual pass on top of that. That's just value right there. That's value yeah. for your 12 large. Yeah. Also, at last check, the wait list to get into the Club 33 is 14 years long. Oh, good. Well, now, if I uh, start now, I should be good to go and Maybe you should be like Jim Carrey and like write a, a check for your future, you know, and put yourself on that wait list <laughs> right now. And then in 14 years, if you can pay for it, you know. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Because... <laughs> Most of my kids will be out of the house at that point. I'll actually have disposable income again. Right? Right. Yeah, you'll just have Amelia. She'll be like a, a moody teenager at that point. Oh, God. Please don't say that. No, no, no. But she'll be the last one. Like, like it'll be old news. She will be able to do nothing. Nothing. At that point, she'll be 15, which would mean that I would be singing the final countdown to myself every day when I woke up. That's just right. Just waiting for that 18th birthday to roll It's around. the final countdown. Not my problem anymore, kid. Yeah, yeah. And and your oldest, he'll be like, what, almost 30? Oh, Lord. Yeah. No, he would be 27. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. There you go. See? Well, that, that twists your noodle. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Put yourself on that list. I like yeah. this. I like where That's this is going. That's a reward. That's yeah. a reward for getting my kids out the door. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> Let's move on to our first segment, our off-the-shelf segment. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of the shelf and onto our tables and into our hearts. And this is kind of a weird list because it's been a long time, but yet I haven't really done a whole lot. Not not a ton. It's almost like there was some sort of horrificness in the national zeitgeist that sort of consumed all of your attention and like an entire episode like got sucked into it of ours, you know? Yeah. Almost like that. You could say that. Yeah. And I've been putting a lot of time into that particular problem to to see what I can do locally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do a follow-up because you you said in the episode that came out today, which we recorded a while ago, oddly enough, that you were going to meet with your sheriff. I believe that happened. No, not my sheriff. My my police... uh, Chief of police. Yeah. 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 So, yes, um, I met and he brought uh, six additional officers with him. Uh, that formulate the the command structure of the the Cedar Park Police Department, and we sat down and we had a very, at times uncomfortable but very frank conversation, and they were very very receptive, and it was a very positive experience. Um, so we don't have any next steps per se, although uh, I am trying to put together a a, a neighborhood coalition of civilians consisting of kind of some of the the elite community leaders in the area to try and get a dialogue going between people and uh, the police to hopefully avoid any kind of situation like this in the future. Nice, Jonathan. Look at you. Look at you. I, I told you when you were telling me about this, this is going to end with you being on city council. And then whoever's running against you will have this podcast to hang over your head, sir. So I, which I don't is know. fine, which is fine. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of what we do here. <laughs> well, where, where do you want to get started? I have watched a few movies, not a ton. Uh, do you want to start there? Well, I just wanted to congratulate uh, Ray. Uh, ages and ages ago, uh, he posted pictures of all of his My Little Scythe minis. Oh, yes, painted. he did, and they look so good. Yeah, now he's going to start up on the expansion minis, which is very, fr- from what he said, is very loosely based off of the airship expansion. Which makes sense. Main? main what would you call it? Prime? I'll go with Prime. Prime uh, Scythe. A- again, that makes perfect, perfect sense. There you go. And then if I missed anything, it's it's been a hell of a couple of weeks, guys. If I missed anything else in the chat, uh, yeah, sorry. Whoops. All right, I, I, I've watched a lot of movies, actually. Okay, well, what, what are some of the things you've watched? Okay, okay. Well, finishing up off of something from a long time ago, uh, the daughter and I finished up uh, Tremors 4 and 5. So I've now seen, and 6? Yes, we did Tremors 6. I forgot about that one too. Okay, so we have now seen all of the Tremors films, all six of them. I guess I will have to watch the seventh one when it comes out, I believe, next month in July, <laughs> just to round it all out. Because I'm in too deep now. I can't not do it. That would just be wrong, right? Yeah. So, Tremors 5 was a bit of a soft reboot of the series. Instead of being a horror comedy, it became a gritty, dark humor action horror movie, I guess. I got to say, Tremors 5 wasn't bad, um, but I think they mined everything they can out of that in Tremors 5 because Tremors 6 was so bad. It was mind-numbingly bad. And the problem, one of the problems with Tremors 6 is uh, the guy who plays Bert because he's the only character that carries over through the whole series. Uh, I couldn't tell he... Which is such a weird choice. (laughs) It's like, hey, man, 
I know Family Ties is off the air. How about you just do these and nothing but these? Because I swear I haven't seen him in a single. Hey man, got to get paid. Got to got to work somehow. But he's not a bad actor. That's that's the criminal thing about it. He's great in Family Ties. Okay, so uh, spoiler alert. But in Tremors Six, he gets uh, he gets like a parasite from a graboid, and he gets really sick from it. And I'll I'll leave it at that. It's bad. But he gets really really ill. And I can't tell if he was just acting ill or if he had just gotten old because, you know, I mean, that dude's pretty old at this point, you know, especially to be like running around. Hell, man, he was in his 80s or I mean, he was in his 40s in the 80s when he was doing Family Ties. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's like Patrick Stewart. and He's just one of those cats that went gray early. Now I want to know. I'm going to check. I'm checking. I I am, too. Now now you got me curious. Michael Gross. He is currently 72. Here's a picture of him three years ago on the Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. He's looking good. He's looking I, like different. I said, I don't know if his frailty was acting or just him old. It was hard to tell because his speech was just a little off. And, and the thing is, it was kind of off the whole movie. But then again, he was supposed to be sick the whole movie. So I don't know. I guess Tremor 7 will be our test on that, which I now feel compelled to watch because I've seen them all at this point. This will be Tremor's Island Fury. Island Fury, which is basically like take the most dangerous game, but instead of hunting people, he's hunting graboids on an island, like rich guy. And then Burt Gummer gets mixed up in it somehow. Woo! The movie's got a little bit darker and uh, my daughter had a hard time watching him because of that. Uh, and there were several points where I, we stopped and I thought we were done, but she, she came back the next day and she's like, no, I want to finish it. I want to finish it. And I'm like, all right, I, I guess I will give you nightmare fuel. I, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that it's a hard PG-13. There's just a lot more like jump scares and, and random, you know, people getting pulled under and stuff than, than the first one, which was a lot more, you know, you know, the first four movies that were a lot more horror oh. comedies. I, I still stand by Tremors 1 being a, a brilliant script. Like you mm-hmm. could reshoot that today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could even use most of the same damn cast. <laughs> you could definitely reshoot that today you'd probably have to throw in a extra line somewhere about how there's no cell phone tower in that area which is why Bert went there because of government rays and then boom like that's all you need to say yeah. after that it's perfect solved solved, solved. but yeah um, so I will say yeah, Tremors, Tremors 1 is definitely the best Tremors 2 definitely the second best by far uh, after that it's probably 4 5 3 and then 6 <laughs> three was really bad three was basically their pilot for the the tv show and the tv show was not but here's the real question robert yes. was it moonraker bad which one uh they got moonraker three and six were definitely moonraker bad <laughs> oh wow all right yeah yeah and maybe that's the problem because uh they imply that Bert got the parasite in tremors three in Tremor Six, they were connected. Maybe they they connected and suck. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you have on your list? So after we got done with that, I told Awen, "I'm like, hey, you want to see a movie? My one of my absolute favorite movies." And she said, "Okay." And we had tried to watch this one before, and she couldn't get into it. But I guess eight was the magic number because she could pay attention. We watched Back to the Future, part the first one, the first one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, allow me to tie in one of the things that I have been watching. Have you watched the Back to the Future uh, episode of Reunited Apart? No, I have not watched that. Oh, you need to, my friend. You need to. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot about Reunited Apart. I uh, I don't know. I haven't I haven't I haven't quite pulled the trigger on that yet. I should. I should. Maybe I'll watch it while I'm on vacation. My my switch has YouTube because we live in the future. 
I guess my iPad is YouTube too. What does that even mean? But whatever. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, we ended up watching Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3, actually, because she, she was getting into it. Uh, 3, the Old West kind of didn't grab her. She got really distracted pretty easily. But the first two she liked, she liked going to the future and she liked the past. She thought that was fun. She couldn't quite follow the plot of 2, but when I stopped and explained it to her, and we rewatched that one scene a couple times. It, it, she kind of like, I think she got it. So, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? But, yeah. Two, of yeah. course, features, uh, I almost said Michael Keaton, which is this character's name, for God's sakes. <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Michael J. Fox as uh, uh, female Michael J. Fox, which is one of my favorite head bobs ever in a movie. <laughs> Mom, the way he comes around is... is his the corner and just kind of bobs his head. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, Alan was like, I, I said that all of those, pe- like half the people in that room are Michael J. Fox. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, how'd they do that? I'm like, well, back in the day, very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> watched a lot of films. And I, I didn't put it on the list, but we watched, uh, after that, we watched uh, Infinity War and then Endgame. And then I don't remember what, but we watched some other Marvel movie. I don't know what we're going to watch tonight. We got done with it. So there. Oh, we were watching the Spider-Man movies and we're done with them now. So we've been we've been flying through stuff. There you go. Well, uh, like I said, I've been watching um, a lot of YouTube lately. Uh, definitely all the episodes of Reunited Apart, which are amazing and make making money for a really good cause and totally taking me back to the 80s. Uh, but my by far, my favorite one has to be the Lord of the Rings uh, Spectacular, where they brought back everybody. Nice. But I just watched the Ghostbusters one, and that was amazing. They just look like they hold each other in the highest regard and have some deep love for one another. Like, it was just a bunch of people having a really good time. But beyond that, on YouTube, I've been watching uh, a lot of marble racing. Yeah, Jelly's Marble Runs. Uh, Yes, I am definitely uh, rooting for the O-Rangers now. (laughs) Not the oranges. The O-Rangers. (laughs) O-Rangers. I should not have nearly as heavy an emotional investment in marbles going around the track as I do. But, oh, my God, like, it's legitimately a sport. (laughs) I know, right? I get really sucked into it, and I start yelling at the TV. I'm not too into the the Olympics thing that's running right now, because I think... I haven't uh, seen that one yet. Yeah, I think think the events are kind of gimmicky, um, and I'm not liking the gimmick. I, I like the races a lot <laughs> a lot a lot so like the sand rallies and the the marbula one i've been enjoying those quite a bit. oh marbula one is fabulous it's yeah. so well put together yeah yeah uh and then the other thing that i've been watching a lot of is the diecast racing league i tried to get into that and it just didn't you need to watch the stuff from 2020 when they brought in a second commentator because that's when it got really good okay okay because I, I was watching a couple of them and while I did appreciate the model work, because I did, uh, I, I do like that the guy does put in a lot of effort into the landscapes, which is really nice. Um, and little, little people. I'll, I'll tell you what. Go watch, specifically, go watch the Diecast rally uh, that they did. Okay. And watch that whole series, and I guarantee you, you, you and I will have a chat afterwards, and you'll be like, yeah, that second, the second announcer brings it home. The second announcer is what it was missing. Okay, okay. Uh, but beyond that, the uh, kids and I have watched a lot of movies. Uh, we watched uh, the first Mummy. Well, the Brendan Fraser Mummy, not the original right, right, one right. from the... It, from Not the Boris Karloff, but... Brent, not Brent the Fraser. Boris Karloff yes. one. Got it. Uh, but we watched the Brendan Fraser Mummy and had a lot, a lot of fun with that. Um, I sat down and watched one of my favorite 
interpretations of a Philip K. Dick novel, I watched Minority Report again. That's a good movie. It's a good movie. Uh, yeah. I, I Every time I watch it, I have the exact same reaction. What happened to you, Steven Spielberg? You were making amazing sci-fi. Yeah. Also, you're now forgiven for AI. You know, I liked AI in a way. I don't even like... Mm. I'm not even gonna. I know it was a Kubrick thing first. Well, it wasn't I, that, even that's even 100. That's that's the problem. Uh, yeah, it was Spielberg trying to channel Kubrick, and that was not a good match. No, I I would agree. Uh, don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm not saying it's not without its problems. It is, however, in my favorite sci-fi genre of overly pretend, overly long and pretentious sci-fi movies, and it does that in spades. So I I enjoy watching the hell out of that. Cause it, uh, but yeah, the ending doesn't, there's a lot of things that don't work and it, it thinks it's much more clever than it actually is, but I still like it. I don't know. I just like that kind of sci-fi film. What can I say? Uh, what else have I been watching? Um, well, minority report, the- anything to say about minority report other than it was originally going to be a sequel to total recall. <laughs> well, it it is. I mean, truly it is one of the few times that Philip K. Dick has been successfully ported onto the big screen and in a palatable yet specifically philip k dick way the only other one being blade runner uh what about um the one with downey um downey and keanu the animated one scanner darkly scanner darkly um it's too much on the philip k dick side not enough on the movie side Mm, intriguing okay It, it comes close i would put that third on my list what else have you been watching? Um, what else have I been watching? Um, the kids, uh, the, the two older kids, uh, now that they're kind of getting to that age where they can start to watch some some slightly different movies, we sat down and watched World War Z. <laughs> that movie's terrible. It's terrible, but it's so watchable. I, I still love that Peter Capaldi is in that movie and his credited role is the Who Doctor. Like, that is still the best part of that movie by far. <laughs> yes. I, I won't call it good, but I will call it watchable. You shouldn't call it good. It's terrible. <laughs> like there's a few and, good moments in it, but it's, it's yeah. That movie has that problem that a lot of modern movies do where they thought up the action sequences for it long before they thought of the script to connect it. <laughs> and it shows yeah. really bad, real bad. Uh, what else have we been watching? Uh, I watched that uh, Netflix movie, uh, The Extraction. Mm-hmm. Which was written by one of the Russo brothers. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I, uh, I I didn't recognize the director's name. I I can't place it right now. I I've, I've been meaning to kind of look into his career, but I, it was very fun, very enjoyable movie. Um, a lot more heart than you would have anticipated. Nice. I rewatched Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is always fun. Well, everybody knows vegans are better than us. That's why they have superpowers. <laughs> And then finally, the other night, the two, the two older kids and I and Jessica, for her sake, watched Olympus Has Fallen. Why? Where do I begin, Robert? Where do I begin? Because I watched it from start to finish, and I was entertained, but my God, it's just terrible. Is that the first one in the Olympus That's trilogy? The first one. Yeah. Can you believe that the Fallen trilogy exists? That is a thing. The Fallen trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. No. I've never. I don't seen know how anybody... it was straight to video. I got to tell you. I, I I've never heard of anybody who said that that movie was like really good and deserved a sequel. Like uh, every everybody I've ever talked to has said it's it's all right. 
Like, like that's the but best you get. All the warm money. Oh, well, there you go. Except for the last like, one I heard. It, I heard the last one bombed. <laughs> oh, did it? What was that one called? Uh, I don't remember. Angel has fallen. Angel has fallen. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right, let's take a look at what we got here. Oh no, he made money. Oh god, there's gonna be another one then. Dude, the budget was only forty million dollars in 2019. Its budget was forty million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Now it's Lionsgate. That makes sense. It brought in 148 million. So even doubling it with marketing costs, it still turned in a tidy, tidy sum. All right. Point made. Point made. Lionsgate. I don't understand how, but man, they know how to make money. <laughs> well, they make like. I don't know if you'd call them low budget. Low budget these days is like below. I, I want to say forty like, million dollars in two thousand nineteen is low budget. Uh, I'd still say low is like twenty in today's money, like twenty million and below. So forty, it's like it's a mid low budget movie. But they make a lot of mid low budget movies. But like, you know, John Wick three was seventy five million. That's a mid budget movie. But yeah, it, that's it, they turned around and made three hundred fifty million bucks off of it. Yeah, but uh, the first one, you know, I mean. No, that was the third one. Well, I know, but the first one made like all of the money. You know, the, you, you dump more money in the sequels. That's just how it works. But yeah, no, but I mean the the the, the first one was I got, what was even the the cost of the first one? Uh, a pack of cigarettes and some. Uh, I don't know. I got nothing. I'm trying to make a joke here, but it ain't, it ain't coming. Just moving on. Hold on, let's take a look. Uh, the, the estimated budget is somewhere between twenty and thirty million, and it made eighty six. So there you go. Yeah, the first one was kind of kind of a sleeper hit. Like a lot of people caught it in streaming and were like, "Oh my god, this movie's great." Second one was 40, made 171. Market increase there. John Wick Chapter 3, 75 made, yeah. So there you go. I don't know, man. Whatever. Lionsgate. They made Punisher Warzone, and that's a terrible movie too, but I really like it. And I Oh I, god, it's so much fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible, but it's so much fun to watch. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So that is, uh, I think that's about it. Have I seen anything else? This I got one last thing. Cause I, I, oh, what do you have? So I had a good buddy of mine from a long time ago. He died recently. His, uh, this is going to be confusing. His name was also Robert. Um, and a long, long time ago, uh, I think I mentioned it before that I had a relationship that was, uh, I shouldn't have been in <laughs> and I dated a lady for six years. And the day we broke up, uh, we were talking about it and he wanted to get me out of the house cause he thought I had been moping around and being sad all day and I shouldn't do that. I should hang out with some buddies. So we went to see the animatrix and by default or by whatever, we also saw Stephen King's the dream catcher in theaters. Uh, it wasn't opening weekend. It was the Monday. Speaking of car accidents. Yes. Yes. So when my good buddy died, I went and watched the dream catcher again cause it had been <laughs> like 11 years or something since I last saw it. Seemed like it was time. And you know what I remembered, Jonathan? I just remembered there was another movie that him and I watched and I have very fond memories of. And so I, I'm going to I'm gonna go looking for it. It's called The Car. Have you ever heard of The Car? Yeah, of course I've heard of The Car. It's to- it's terrible, too. Like, wh- someone's like, what if we made Jaws but on land? And it's like, how would you make Jaws on land? That doesn't make any sense. We'll make it a car. <laughs> it's so bad. Anyway. Poor, poor Thomas Jane, by the way, because yes. uh, he went from making The Mist with uh, you know, an American treasure, Frank Darabont, to making this. Also, yeah. fun fact: Lawrence Kasdan. What happened? Yeah. Well, he. I think he worked on the the Star Wars movies, the most recent, free, blah, most recent trilogy. So, uh, 
Yeah, but he directed this one too, and he's directed some really good movies in the past. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I I don't I know mean, why. I don't know why you. I've read the dude, book, like the, the Big bo- Chill, Grand yeah. Canyon. I I don't know like, why you'd film that book. I I honestly don't like that book. I, I've no, read it's it. Not it, really something that's really filmable. No, no, and it's a fairly faithful adaptation of the book. I, I I'll say, fairly faithful, not completely. The ending is very different, but regardless, yeah, I. You know, when you watch movies like old, like what we're doing with Bond and you watch them in this more enlightened time and, you know, there's a lot of cringy stuff there and whatever. I was expecting that and it was there, you know, like there was a lot of that. Like apparently four grown men, just all they ha- all they can do is like Kevin Smith style have like, you know, sex jokes and what I'm like, I don't talk to my buddies like that. We, we argue about stupid crap. We don't like, I don't know, maybe people reminisce like that and that's just not my experience, but regardless somehow that movie aged more boring than i remembered it that was my takeaway from it like i don't remember this film being this dull i remember it being bad but not dull and it it, i don't know what how how you age more dull as time goes on but it did but regardless robert you magnificent bastard wherever you are right now you're you are for sure laughing at me because you got me to watch that godforsaken movie again (laughs) good on him and and i hate you for it i just i just want to say that out loud so there you go and that is all I've watched. I'm done with the TVs. Wow, you're like done with almost everything. Oh, no, you played video well, games too. Okay. Yeah, it, it, well, let's talk about video games. Uh, not a whole lot different. Still playing Maneater, the shark PG as it's being billed. <laughs> I now have an adult-sized bull shark, but because I've eaten enough uh, stuff, I've, I've managed to level him up, and he has an electromagnetic bite. Or okay. she, I should say, because yes. it's, a, it's a, a female shark. She has a an a, a le- electro bite so that she electrically stuns anything within 10 meters of her when she bites things. Yeah, you had just gotten that the last time you talked oh, about Oh, no. It. I beefed it up. I've got it maxed out now. Oh, uh, good on you. Good on you. <laughs> uh, and then I've got um, bony protrusions on my, my three fins, uh, which make me hardier. It's good. It's good. And I'm now the, an, an adult-sized. And according to the save file, I'm also 50% of the way through the game. Wow, there's a lot of game there. Surprisingly, surprisingly. I, how, how does that how does that game keep playing? Because I, I would think because it reminds me of like Angry Shark World or whatever, that app game that me and my daughter played for a hot minute for a while where you just yes. run around and you eat stuff constantly. And I, I don't get where the replay value is in that. Like, how do you why do you keep coming back to that? I don't know. What's the loop? Like, I can't give you an answer to that because I, I'll tell I'll tell you this. They were smart. They made all the missions super short. There's there's nothing that takes a long time. So the way I play it is if I have 20 minutes, 15 minutes, I sit down and I play like two or three missions, get a couple things accomplished, and then I walk away. And I might walk away for days on end. Hmm. And then I return and I, I just gobble it up that way. Just a couple here, a couple there. That sounds like how I play Overwatch. Maybe yeah. I should give that a try. Continuing to play Apex. Uh, this latest season is fantastic. I'm having a great time with it. Love the new character. And uh, yeah, having a great time. Uh, and finally, Kingdom Hearts. Man, I feel like I'm on acid. Yeah, I've I've never played any of those games. I don't know. I don't know what to say about you them. You know, I, I never really like I played the first one many, many moons ago when it was a brand new game. And I remember not necessarily being able to make sense of it at the time. But I also remember not caring. But I think I was <laughs> fanboying on it. <laughs> But recently, you know, I do the the Xbox Live Game Pass, and the Game Pass is a is a really good deal. It's like sixty bucks uh, a year, 
and uh, you get access to a, a routinely updated library of titles that you can just download and and play. And so all the the entire trilogy ended up on on there. So I just on a whim I downloaded it and started playing through the first one. And don't ask me what's going on because I have no clue, none whatsoever. Uh, but I'm having a good time and it's cool to see the Disney characters and they make me happy. And right now I need a little bit of happiness. So I'm playing it. There you go. Yeah. So that's it for video games. For me. Uh, I've yeah. just been continuing to play animal, animal crossing and overwatch and kind of bored with both of them, but I, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, I bought the, uh, the bundle that I told you to get and you didn't, I don't think, which you're full. The, uh, it's over now, unfortunately. So if this sounded cool to you, uh, you're too late. But the yeah. bundle for a matter of not wanting, it was a matter of payday. Five fudging dollars, sir. It's the bundle for racial justice and equality. And oh man, it was so much stuff. It's still on. It's still up. I thought they, I thought it was over. 75 items. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. That's the new one. I'm talking about the one that was on itch. Oh, I don't know. That's the one on Humble Bundle. Yeah, no, no. That's the new one. This this is the old one. So it is just filled with all sorts of really, really weird and random games, like indie games. And most of them are probably terrible, but there's just such a sheer amount in there. There must be something good in it. So I've been trying to parse it out. And there's one I think you would like. Um, my daughter started playing it a little bit because she likes walking simulators. It's called Walden. And in that you are playing uh, Henry David Thoreau living out in the woods, fishing and building your cabin and riding on Walden Pond. And it's a game just about that. And it's like edutainment, but my daughter completely doesn't realize it because uh, she's just doing, you know, walking simulator stuff and she's having a good time with it and just exploring. It's kind of funny. So, but yeah, there, there is so, so much stuff and it was like impossible to parse. And then somebody, God bless them. They made a website that tagged a whole bunch of this crap. And so you could like parse it out and try, you know, like look for things, you know, that that float your boat a little bit more and like shuffle out all of, because there's a lot of role-playing games in it too. And there are so, so many weird role-playing games, uh, two that have tickled my fancy. Uh, one's called Lancer, which I need to read, which is just, uh, it's a mech based role-playing game. Uh, my buddy was flipping through it and he said it was really nice because the, if you're doing pilot stuff, you know, like walking around as your pilot character, it's a very, very narrative game because let's face it, when you're playing a mech based game, you're, you don't care what your pilot does, but then when Mm -hmm. you switch into mech mode, it gets really gritty and really, really fiddly combat because the mech combat is really detailed. But then when you're not in your mech suit and you're doing that, like story stuff, like, you know, robot jock style, when you're Achilles trying to figure out who's the saboteur or whatever, that stuff is all just narrative because it doesn't matter. It's all about the mech combat, which is probably the correct way to do that, coming to think of it. But yeah, there's just so much stuff, Jonathan. It's it's absurd. I, 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 I've tried a few things. I, I There's one I've been playing a little bit. I'm actually going to go back to it, So I, but I've only managed to play like 10 minutes of it, so I don't want to talk about it yet because I, I don't have a strong opinion on it one way or another. But it was it was worth the $5. And I'd say go get it, but it's over. It ended yesterday. And it's very sad. But it raised $8 million. $8 million, Jonathan. And all they That's wanted, awesome. the average contribution was $10.03. That's fantastic. 814,000 people gave a little bit of money to that. It's pretty cool. And yeah, that's it. That's video games out of me. All right. Well, shall we move on to uh, board games? Uh, yes. And I'm done. Go on. 
<laughs> Not many on my end either. Um, I did get to try out Undaunted Normandy, mm. and I actually did it with Ray, and it is extremely clever. It is a tactical game, but done with cards, and in a very interesting way. What's that called again? Undaunted Normandy. And the, the sequel, uh, Undaunted Africa, is coming out very soon, and I am suddenly very, very excited about it, because this is a very interesting system, the way it handles stuff. Hmm. Uh, additionally, um, I taught a bunch of people at work, uh, Llama and Guillotine. Good, good. Yes, and then, uh, because I'd been teaching them Guillotine, I had my copy out uh, to reference a couple things, and sure enough... I sit down with the kids, and uh, yeah, now guillotine's a hit around the house. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could play with my daughter, Jonathan. It's not my fault you left it. It is your fault that you still haven't sent it to me with my microphone. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. Nice. That's it. Uh, Hopefully more this week. Hopefully more this week. Yeah, it's been, it's been, kind, of a, it's been kind of a crappy kind of three weeks. Yeah, just... A lot of attention going to other things. Yeah. Agreed. Wow. Uh, Guillotine came out in 1996. Yeah. It's been a bit. Yeah. It, 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 you know what? It's aged really damn well. Yeah, it has. Oh, 1998. Sorry. That, that, Still. That text was super duper tiny. It, it does not feel like a 22-year-old game. No. No. Well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment. What? No, no, just because you haven't done some stuff, son, doesn't mean I haven't done some other stuff. Oh, what did we miss? What did we miss? What did we miss? What did we miss? All right, so I want to end on something specific. So we oh, will do reading, this. reading, reading. No, 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 and RPGs. So we're going to do this in the order I want because I want to end on reading. So I've been playing RPGs. I've been continuing to collate my campaign setting into one document, which has been super duper, duper fun. Uh, yeah, not much more to say about that. I linked it in the Discord if anybody wants to read it, which nobody does because nobody cares about my homebrew but me. But I don't care. I'm going to put it out there anyway because maybe I'll get surprised. Secondly, uh, Gina and I fired up the microscope again uh, because there is an area in the setting that we created that didn't make any sense. So we decided to go make sense of it. Because uh, there was a large enchanted fantasy forest that was the southern border of uh, of our, our kingdom that we created and also of another empire. And it was like, why hasn't anybody gone in there and taken it out? So that's what our microscope game is about. Turns out there's just a big giant dragon in there and nobody wants to mess with it. Cool beans, but it's been a lot of fun. And then I've been reading. I finished up the RPG Aeon, which was a nice little reboot of that system and setting and whatnot. Nice. And I want to read it. I want to play it. But it was a fun read. It was fun to reminisce, and they did a good job. And last but not least, my cousin on my wife's side of the family, she released her book, Pizza Girl. It came out. We went and got our copy of it. And my yeah, wife. Yeah, you sent me a picture of it. It looks awesome. Yeah, my wife has already devoured it. I have gotten about like five or 10 pages in because I, I do most of my reading like that on the toilet, and I just forget to pick it up. I need to like put it somewhere where I'll remember to grab it instead of like my iPad because that's mainly my problem. But yeah, yeah, it's really cool that it came out. And uh, I messaged her recently. I messaged uh, cousin Jean and just said, you know, I'm like super duper proud of her that she wrote a book. That's super bitching. And we chit chatted for a little bit. And yeah, it was nice. It's good stuff. It's good. Good stuff. So I highly recommend it. It's Pizza Girl by Jean Frazier. Uh, highly recommend. It's, it's, it's a cute book. It's about a lady who's a pizza, pizza girl and she's knocked up. Uh, I think she's 18 or 19, knocked up, 
And she gets oddly obsessed with this lady that places an order for a pickles and pepperoni pizza and hilarity and cringiness and all of that stuff ensue. And my wife really enjoyed it. She said it was very witty. Just want to pimp that because like I, I know I know our demographic and her demographics align so much because she's, you know, on the tail end of the millennials and so much more hip than us, sir. <laughs> so much more hip than us. She's like lived in New York, went to Columbia <laughs> and posted all these She's pictures. done things. She posted all these pictures at bars with other young people drinking beers. And I'm like, and I'm just sitting here like getting all excited about making bread. <laughs> yeah, but it does look tasty. That's true. That's true. I'm going to make more tomorrow because we're going on vacation sort of while we're going to the grandparents house. So I wouldn't call that like a super duper vacation because we're not going anywhere like I don't want to say fun in case they listen to this. That's kind of a slap in the face, isn't it? Your house isn't fun, grandma and grandpa, but whatever. But yeah, we're not going anywhere, you know, interesting and social because of the COVIDs. We're going to another recluse's house like us. (laughs) But I don't want to go to the store and buy anything because, well, I don't want to go to the store and buy anything. And because we're trying to use up the food before we leave. So I got to make more bread because we actually ran out of bread. (laughs) But we're going to eat my bread. I'm I'm, good. Good. Anyway. Maybe you get your microphone if you send me a loaf of bread. <clears throat> I don't know how I would send that to you and not have it just get obliterated in transit. Just in a box. <clears throat> well, I'd have to vacuum. Oh, we do have a vacuum sealer. I might be able to make that work. Is that is that what you're saying? Like you're going to hold that hot? Oh, shoot. I, bu- I broke up all my boxes today because the kids were fighting over them and I got sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I'll see what I can do. Enough packaging and vacuum. I might, I might be able to pull that off. We'll see what happens. But you can't vacuum seal it too much because if you pull too much air out, it just crushes the bread. <laughs> no, please don't crush the bread. You got to like do just enough so it's like a tight, tight seal. Tight like a twiga? Like a twiga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is that it? That's it. Now end it. And that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment. We will return after a short break with our Wisdom of Crowd segment. We will see you in a moment. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. Welcome back from that break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And, Robert, we're going to kick it to you for the first one. So this one is a oldie at this point, but, oh, it's so delicious, Jonathan. DC Comics has cut ties with Diamond Distribution. I, I know that you have a lot of personal uh, hatred vested here. <laughs> you just laughed <laughs> You just left like the fire marshal from In Living Color. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Let me tell you something. When you own a when you own a comic book store, I don't know anybody anybody who's not a very large comic buyer that has what you would call a good relationship with Diamond. And there there is a Facebook page dedicated to the mutual hatred of Diamond <laughs> on Facebook that I used to belong to, and. Yeah, here here's here's what I will say about that. Diamond was in sore need of actually having some competition because 
they just didn't have any. And so things that they should have been doing, they just weren't. And they dropped the ball on a lot of stuff and they put the onus on the little comic book shop store owners to do what they should have been doing that whole time. And uh, I'm glad this happened because they needed a kick in the pants to get them to not being such screw ups. And hopefully this will fix them or they will fail either way. I'm not that pissed about it. So yes. Yeah. Diamond diamond is not well run. How about that? Considering their customers are comic book stores, they are very focused on things that make their life easy and not the other way around. And so, yes, this was overdue. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. It, it, it's, so, it's so gobbledygook <laughs> about ordering and how they do their ordering. And it's, it's probably so dull unless you actually do it, <laughs> in which case it's riveting, I guess. But still, it's big news. It's big news that... It uh, is big news. It is. It's huge news. It's huge. And the fact that DC cut ties with them completely is... is With the Rona, I'm glad I don't have a shop anymore. Like, I, I'm sincerely glad. Because, you know, like, after the shop closed, there's, there's always that part of me that was like, oh, man, maybe we should have toughed it out. Or maybe blah, blah, blah. Or maybe I should have... And, and then with this, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm glad I'm out. <laughs> 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 like, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this was the right move. Like, completely the right move. Should it, should it, yes, fine, yeah. Because, yeah, no, I, oh, God. I, uh, but, yeah, yeah, Diamond Diamond needed a kick in the pants. Well, sounds like they're getting it. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, Jonathan, go on. Well, you're familiar with USAopoly, Masters of All Things. Uh, Did, I thought they got a new company name, or am I thinking of somebody well, else? It's, it's the op, the op. Oh, it's the op. They, they go by right. both names. Like you, you see the uh, op USA Opley on there. But, uh, but they, of course, are uh, have mastered the art of uh, applying licenses to other games, and they're going to do it again. This time with Spot It. So they've entered a partnership with Asmodee, and they will be producing licensed versions of Spot It. Okay. So who knows which IPs will be applied to it? Uh, but uh, the op has relationships with Fox, Cartoon Network, Marvel, Hasbro, Disney. So you just said you just said like half a dozen companies right there, and they're all the same company because there is no Fox and Marvel and Disney. It's just Disney, sir. I'm just saying. That's that's true. But they also have Nintendo. I just gave you four snaps in a Z formation, going back to in living color. <laughs> that's gonna be the reference this week, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of licenses, guess who else was playing in the license game? Nothing witty is coming to mind, so go. Simon. Oh my, what are they doing? They have announced a partnership with Mattel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't see Brace yourself. Coming. coming to Kickstarter 2021 Masters of the Universe, the board game. <laughs> Tell me it's a Zombicide game. <laughs> I have no idea. All I know is it's happening. <laughs> all right all right i can get behind that uh i, I am behind way that. behind it because they're using the or the original 1982 designs so it's going to be as goofy as goofy can be good good he-man skeletor the whole masters of the universe all coming to your table real soon 2021 from simon it's gonna have miniatures no a simon game having miniatures i you know don't say. right 
It's going to be designed by Michael Chenal, um, who you know from the Xenoshift games that Simon put out, and Leo Almeida, who uh, is one of the designers from Starcadia Quest. Hmm. They haven't said anything else beyond that, just knowing that it's coming. Nice. Let's see if I can do this here. Hold on. Okay. I have the power. Wow, that reverb just ain't dying. That's because I gave it everything I had, baby. Wow. So we did not do that in post. That was that was Jonathan finally finding the sound effects button on his board. No, it, it wasn't the button. I found the button and I found the send. What I didn't realize is that there's an independent thing on uh, for channels. Uh, well, there you go. There you go. But yes, Jonathan, we've only been doing this podcast for four or five years at this point, And you just found the button. I'm so yep. proud of you. So proud of you. Bring it in. I'd give you a hug right now if I could. Just pat it's, your back uh, like, like a little not baby. Not a button, by the way. It's a knob. It's a knob. Can I come out now? Yes, you can come out now. Thanks. And, and, and uh, the Canadian in me wants to tell you that you're a knob. Wow. Don't be a hater. <laughs> All right. Will... Uh, big news this week. Origins Online got canceled. And uh, yeah, Gamma. Oh, why? Oh, oh Gamma but s- why? Screw, screwed the pooch on this. Like, like it's one thing to screw up. You yeah, know? yeah, you know, but mistakes are made. Mistakes own are made. Own it. Own it. Yeah, own it. Own it. But it's just, it's just when you keep, yeah. Okay, so um, corporations are evil, vile things. And most corporations have come out with something about Black Lives Matter. Just something. And you know what? Like, I'm not, I'm in no delusion. We're not in the most boring, stupid, cyberpunk, dystopian future. No, but, but acknowledgement means something. Acknowledgement at least means something. And Gamma could get their act together to just say something like the handiest of hand waves where they just release something on Facebook and Twitter which is just like a couple of paragraphs and several companies have managed to pull that off and, and, and go well above and beyond, I must add. Um, but, but gamma who is the game manufacturers association who owns the origins convention just couldn't manage to pull it off. And so I don't know who backed out first. I haven't been able to find this on Twitter, but Elizabeth oh, Hargrave but the list is long, but the Elizabeth list Hargrave is long. compiled a list and she was one of the early ones. If not one of the first, uh, she did wingspan. She's the designer of wingspan. She has a Twitter thread where she does like everybody who pulled out. And it was like so many people. I don't even how about this. I had it listed, but the list was getting way too long and clunky to even say it was just like everybody, <laughs> um, including their MC, the, the person who was supposed to host the entire damn thing backed out. And so Gamma wisely first came out with a statement, you know, supporting Black Lives Matter. So good on them. And then secondly, announced that origins was canceled because uh there were other voices that needed listening to or something like that just completely ignoring and like trying to like um gaslight away the fact that they basically had a rebellion of all of their talent about this no they they chose not to mention that and just sort of like sweep all the because a lot of them were people of color they just swept all that under the rug and uh, and pretended it didn't happen which gamma isn't a good look for you for ah. anyway so there you go but yes origins online is canceled because gamma screwed up twice do better gamma 
do better. You know do what? Honestly, better. gaming gaming deserves better. And on an unrelated note on Twitter, uh, yes, this whole thing is just exposing the pasty, chubby, and or thin and railed grognard problem that our entire hobby seems to have. Because, oh my God, we were, we were talking a, bit, a little bit about this uh, a couple days ago, but yeah. geez, Jonathan, holy God. <laughs> uh, mouth breathers are out in force right now. Oh my God. You know, and they're giving, they're giving me a bad name. I'm one of those old ass grognards, man. I am. You know, and it's like, God damn it. Like, stop, man. People are going to assume things about me. I, like, ah, ah. All right. Well, you ready for some good news to turn this show around? Yeah. Yeah. Because I've got some I've got more bummer news, but not bummer due to failure. Just bummer. Uh, you'll find out. So go cheer me up before I drag us back down. All right. Well, <laughs> since 2007, one of my favorite events every year is free RPG day. Agreed. Agreed. Well, it was supposed to happen in June, but it hasn't. Thanks, Rona. <laughs> you jerk. But uh, thankfully, it has now been shifted. It has been shifted, in fact, to July 25th, 2020. And we are going to see free exclusive printed content for a wide variety of tabletop RPGs. And the list of publishers for this year includes, but is not limited to, WizKids, Fantasy Flight, Renegade Game Studios, Pathfinder, Paizo, Roll20, and many, many more. You can go to freerpgday.com to find out more information. I'm excited. I, I will put on my face mask and go out for that. I don't know what my... There's two stores that usually participate in that that are close to me, so I will see what they do. Well, yes. On that list of uh, folks that were supporting Free RPG Day was WizKids, of course, and WizKids has also announced two games coming, to, uh, coming out in July. The first is Last Second Quest. And this is from the designer of Origami, Christian Glove. And it's a, uh, let's see here, a real-time polyomino game where two to five players frantically grab Tetris-shaped equipment tiles from a central pool in anticipation of a quest. Well, you know, polyanimo, of course there's two or more. Yes. So there will be a... Come on, waka, waka, waka. That was a funny-ass joke. <laughs> there you go. There's the family... <laughs> family guy reference <laughs> they will also be releasing a game called el maestro uh, which is actually a european release from last year and it's a family drawing game and you will be drawing in the air you draw in the air a picture uh using only your finger and everybody else is trying to reproduce it on a piece of paper oh my gosh okay we we did this is how you similar, play that game this uh, is how you play that game jonathan but with a finger on it's the back it's getting close to 4th of July. Go out and get sparklers and do that at night and drop the sparkler. That would be amazing. You know, you can actually get some pretty neat effects if you do that with a open camera shutter. A little fun fact there. There you go. Oh, so good. All right. Back to you, Robert. All right. Uh, Lisa Stevens steps down and Jeff Alvarez is now president of Paizo Publishing. If you don't know who Lisa Stevens is... You probably should. She's worked on like everything. It's amazing. So she got to start with Lion Rampart with Jonathan Tweet and Mark Ryan Hagen in 87, where they made Ars Magica, which later merged with White Wolf Magazine to form White Wolf Publishing in 1990. That same year, they were driving back from Gen Con, Lisa, Mark Ryan Hagen, and Steve Stuart Wick, and they dreamed up Vampire the Masquerade, which, you know, 
kind of a big deal. And then she quit a year later to join Wizards of the Coast as their first full-time employee and editor. And, you know, had a hand in little things like, uh, I don't know, Magic the Gathering and D&D, blah, blah, blah. She left Wizards in 2000. Uh, when she left, uh, I guess there was stuff going around at the time that they might cut their uh, magazine publishing. And she said, let her know if that ever happened. In 2002, that happened. And she formed Paizo Publishing to produce Dragon, Dungeon Magazines, and Star Wars Insider. And then, yeah, Pathfinder and the rest is history. Uh, basically, when she started up Paizo, she's like, I got about 20 years of work left in me. And that was 18 years ago. So she is just making herself a orderly transition to leave the company that she founded, which is sad, but, uh, you know, good for her. Hey, go on on a high note, right? Yeah, exactly. And I was asking you last night, I think this is the only high-level woman executive in a tabletop gaming company. Of that size, yes. Dare I say any? Well, yeah. No, I, no, absolutely. Uh, um, Fireside. Fireside uh, is Justin and his wife. They work on everything together. Okay. The, well, there you go. The, the DeWitts. Justin and Ann DeWitt. Still, still, how about this? We're we're, 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 we're we're reaching pretty hard, and I bet you we won't fill up one hand with women who with women CEOs of tabletop gaming industry or even upper executives. So, yes, that is sad. It's definitely something that there is underrepresented, without a doubt. Uh, but yeah, good on her. She's retiring. Like, yeah, boom. And she got in wizards early. So she must've gotten a, a sweet check with Pokemon because Pokemon, when, when Hasbro bought them out, Oh, people got some fat checks. Have <laughs> 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 uh, ever shared the story on the podcast about how big Pokemon was? Oh yeah. <laughs> like you how insane it was. Pokemon extensively. <laughs> it was, it was nuts. Well, how about this? Uh, I worked at Wizards of the Coast Retail also during that time, uh, kind of after it peaked. But I heard stories that bonuses that managers of uh, Wizards of the Coast stores got bonuses because of high sales that could buy them new cars. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. Be like, nice. I, I think the figure I got quoted was the manager at the Block of Orange store, which is not called the Block of Orange anymore, but whatever. They got something to the tune of $25,000. Wow. Yes. Must be real nice. Yeah. Pokemon. The Pokemon That's card like game pretty money. good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know Terraforming Mars has been on a tear since 2016. And yeah. we've had a metric ton of uh, expansions released. Right, right. Well, guess what? We are about to get... The Terraforming Mars Big Box, a storage solution that also comes with 93D tiles and markers. Oh, cute. So it'll have 24 city tiles, 40 forest tiles, 9 ocean tiles, and 14 special tiles. Uh, it'll include Capital City, Commercial District, all the, all the everything from the game that you've come to expect, except uh, in molded plastic. And nice. it will have a 300 by 300 by 200 box. <laughs> Wow. Millimeters. So that's, uh, what, just just uh, one foot by one foot by about eight inches, right? If I'm doing my math yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Sounds a big right. box. <laughs> yeah, that's a big box. That's a pretty big box. It's a pretty big box. I mean, it's not like Foundations of Rome big, but still, it's pretty big. No, but it's not coming with cities. Is that a pizza cake box? It, yeah, just about. Yeah, it's about. There you yeah. go. Okay. So let me see if they've got a price listed here. Um, the big box is... is is no price yet. Um, apparently, it'll be on Kickstarter in a couple of weeks. There, uh, the rumored price 
floating around, according to the Dice Tower News, is $99. But sexy 3D tiles are sexy. And one storage box for all those, uh, for all those expansions is kind of sexy, too. Agreed. All right, and finally, one of my favorite games, a precursor to Blood Rage, Kemet is getting a new edition, Blood and Sand. Isn't that the name of the Spartacus show? I don't know. Oh, okay. I never got around to watching Spartacus. I'm, I always meant to. So this will have an updated board, updated cards, updated art, updated miniatures, updated iconography, and a bunch of features from the Ta- the, the Tosseti expansion all thrown into one behemoth game. Uh, apparently they've also gone through and streamlined the gameplay a bit to uh, make, it, make it play a little more quickly. So good stuff. I'm looking forward to this. I think I think it's time to bond. Yeah, I'm um, thinking so. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of the news. So now, of course, it is time for us to return to No Time to Bond, our 28 part series where we watch all the 007 movies in order of release date. And tonight, part 13 of 28, it is now time for us to go back. To the early 80s with Octopussy. Released on June 6, 1983, a 55-year-old Roger Moore starring in this John Glenn film with a budget of $27.5 million. It made $187.5 million. So where do we begin? Okay, Let me I'll, ask a question. I'll, there's some good well, here. There is some good. This is not uh, Moonraker. <laughs> you know what? That just because it's not the most awful one doesn't mean that it. Gets no, no, a pass no. But by that, I good. mean there's actually some some portions of it that uh, that are, are are actually genuinely good, and with a, a couple of very minor comedic sections, the opening, the pre-credit opening in this movie is great. I really enjoy it. What happened in that again? Uh, he goes to the uh, the base and he needs to blow up that plane. Oh, that whole jet, the jet yeah. thing. Yeah, the old jet, the old jet. It's neat. It's clever, and it, it's unlike some of the stuff that we see him do. It's it's genuine super spy stuff, right? Seems like they were trying to up the ante of the plane chase from one of the earlier films. Yeah, and and the, the other thing I noticed about the the opening here, and and actually the movie as a whole, compositing got much better all of a sudden. Yeah, I wonder what that was. I mean, technology. It's I'm sure. technology. It's technology. But the, the, their their compositing work in this is just much more grounded and looks more real. And it's a big step in the right direction. It looks great. So this movie is loosely based off of two Bond short stories, Octopussy and uh, Property of a Lady. Property of a Lady is about a Russian agent that's trying to work up money for Russian stuff by selling stuff at auction, which totally happens in this movie. Uh, Octopussy is about a crazy dude who has a pet octopus and Bond gets sent to bring them in and Bond instead just allows him to have an honorable death by drowning, apparently, which is the backstory of Octopussy. Yeah, it, the, it, it, It's heavily referencing everything, but it's considered an original story. Yes, yes. Have we had anything good to say? Or I haven't had much good to say about any of the Roger Moore movies, except for there was one that I thought was good. Was it? Oh, The Spy Who Loved Me, I thought was good. Yeah, no, The Spy Who Loved Me is great. But this movie... Okay, so 
the good. It's not unsure of itself. Uh, they decided to be a little bit more grounded super spy movies, and they've been rolling with that instead of trying to be other things plus Bond. Yeah, and it's much more coherent than some of the previous Bond movies. I didn't get what the bad guy was doing. Like, he was stealing art to start a to get Russia into a war, uh, a tank war, cuz? Like, I, I, no, I no, no. He wanted to get into a war, so he was using that to make money to, to do what he needed to do. Yeah, uh, but he was going to blow up the army base. and uh, He was going to nuke the army base with a nuke that looked like an American nuke. And give them an excuse to, to attack, basically. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, it was kind of bad. Like, like it's the, a real the villain, complicated way to get into war. There's much easier ways. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of points where Bond should have just been shot, and instead they decided to put him in an overly elaborate trap. And uh, my wife and I were commenting during this. It's like it sure is nice that Bond keeps getting captured by people who then give him tailored uh, suits and tuxedos, like. It's surprising how often that happens to him. Could I get kidnapped like that? Different class of criminal, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've been, I, I remember not liking most of the Roger Moore movies and I'm not having any of my opinions shaken. Like it, it, this movie, this movie actually kind of backtracked because one of the things I didn't like about Moore's movies was some of them got a little silly because I, I, a lot of people blame Roger Moore for that. I don't know who who was doing it, but this one there was like a Tarzan sound effect, and you got, can't blame Roger Moore for the sound effects. That's true. And then the uh, the car chase through India with the blunderbuss and and there's aspects uh, of that that are, are really interesting stunts, but then they're they're completely they they are completely sold out by the fact that there's a blunderbuss that makes no sense whatsoever, and oh, there's just so much wrong with this film. And then Octopussy is supposed to be this badass. But she just sort of gets captured at the end because and doesn't really seem to fight anybody. And, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, uh. <laughs> and Roger Moore. Oh, my God. So they hired him back because uh, Never Say Never Again was coming out the same year. And they wanted a seasoned Bond to go up against the most seasoned of Bonds, I guess. But like, oh, it was... <sighs> There's that really creepy part right when he gets to India where uh, he gets taken up to his room and like uh, by by like a lady. And she's obviously like I, well, she's easily like granddaughter age, easily granddaughter age. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, do you need anything else, Mr. Bond? And he's like uh, he, he said something, but it was totally that Bondian, you know, implied like, yes, we'll shag later type response and it was like oh but he's like 55 man like how is that still working on people like i just it's hard to buy it's just ah he looks at least he wasn't wearing a grandpa sweater for the first third of the movie true true but there Uh, there are a couple other high spots too like i liked the race to to get the bomb diffused that worked for me as a as a scene it was well shot with high tension and bond is constantly getting basically undone all of his work is getting undone by others yeah yeah i don't know man I don't the know. other issue that i have with this and so many other bond movies is that it ends in 18 seconds flat it's like the bad guy explodes we have one <coughs> oh god it's the rona uh we have one line of dialogue and then bond is miraculously in the arms of his lover from the movie and boom <laughs> yeah 
the, the credits end, Bond will return in whatever's next. And the other aspect of it was this is the first time that Rapey Bond was played by Moore. <laughs> yes. And yeah, he w- he was creeping on uh, Magda, Magda, the the redhead. I think that's her name. Well, and then Ma- he for- Ma- he basically forces uh, uh, Octopussy oh, oh. into a kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the classic like, you know, she says no oh, when we kiss, geez. but then she says yes. Yeah, uh, not a, not a good trope. Yeah, that's true. We had left that behind with with Connery. He hadn't it, done that. It it was the, it's the first and only time that that I even recall in all of the movies that uh, that that Moore's character goes this way. Yeah. So yeah, aside from the beginning and the 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 final chase to the nuke, this one's kind of all over the place. It's a bit of a mess. It yeah. also features the world's most useless useless weapon what the yo-yo buzzsaw the, the, thing the, the buzzsaw yo-yo dude that hold thing's on hold rad. on can you hold that guy down because i need him to be directly beneath me in this very handily placed staircase so that i can actually kill him come on it's rad and you know it if that was in like a soul caliber game you would eat that crap up you know, I made fun of it in a film I made in high school. It was called Super Yo-Yo Boy, and it was about a guy who did kung fu with a yo-yo. That sounds bitchin', and you know it. Uh, yeah, that movie was phenomenal, okay? It was the best work I've ever done. You know what? You know what? They made an entire video game out of that. It was called Rygar, and it was awesome. I'm just saying. <laughs> You're welcome, Rygar. You're welcome, because <laughs> that came from my mind. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, no, the yo-yo buzzsaw was great. You're wrong. You oh. were just wrong, Jonathan. Lot, lot, lot of painful stuff in this film. A lot of painful stuff. At least it wasn't boring. Like that was Moonrock. The that was Moonraker's main yeah. problem. Moonraker. No, was it wasn't boring. boring. It was entertaining. And the last one was a little boring too. This one, this one had some moments. It wasn't just all cringe. You're like, yeah, yeah. The last chase scene was good. I'll give it that. And actually. If it wasn't for all the 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 bad oh is in India funny tropes in India well in most of the Indian stuff like the the chase scene and a lot of stuff that happened in India was pretty decent too. And and I'll say this about movies that were shot in this time. And this is something that modern movies are kind of irritating the living hell out of me about. Have you noticed that certain countries always get lit with certain colors? Oh yeah, well like ever since oh brother where art thou and they really did digital color correction. Yes. Yes. Like, like India is always brown. <laughs> I have spent many months of my life in Mexico, and I've been through DF and Tijuana and and probably a, about a dozen cities in Mexico. And and I can tell you, they don't look like traffic and and movies like Sicario make them look. No, the, no, the, the colors are normal. They're, they're like the colors here. It just I don't know. It's like it's getting old. It's getting old. And it was just so refreshing to see another another culture displayed in a in a beautifully lit way. Yeah, they're using color correction to like shorthand language. And you know what? It's kind of racist because any country that's supposed to be like poor gets browned. Yeah. And it's it's kind of pissing me off. Yeah. Agreed. Now, the, the only time I've seen it done where it actually meant something and it, it was helpful in terms of keeping the different storylines separated from one another was in traffic because there were so many concurrent storylines that each storyline had a specific color hue associated with it. And it really did help to keep all the characters and the timeline straight. Yeah. Maybe Witcher should have done that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a legitimate thing. Uh, Witcher's timeline gets a little kooky until you do some reading. 
Yeah, yeah. But yeah, oh, you know, that is a good point because uh, people's perceptions of things are, are very, very off. Like, um, I've had talks about this with my buddy. Like, people really seem to think that medieval times was very, very brown and leathery, you know? And that just wasn't true. No. I mean, certain certain color dyes were very expensive and only the nobility could afford them, like reds and blues and whatnot. But, like, greens and purples and a couple other things, like, you get your hands on that easy back in the day. Like, purple especially because, you know, freaking, like, people people ate, uh, uh, shoot, like, it's not turnips I'm thinking of. Yeah. I can't remember the vegetable, but there, yeah, there's a vegetable that you can make a dye out of it. That's like this reddish purple and, and it was easily available and people, people just forget that. And you see all the, like dragon age one where everything is just Brown and uh, yeah, like, like people, people just forget that. And, and you see it, it seeps into D and D a lot where people just think that, Oh, it's a fantasy city. So everybody must be wearing Brown leather. And it's like, no, no, people didn't only wear Brown leather back in the day. But yeah, as a shorthand, it is getting kind of bad. Like, we need to kind of not be doing that anymore. Also, like, Roman times. Everybody thinks Roman times were white. And it's like, no, no. All the, all the buildings are white now, but they painted over them back in the day. They were yeah. very colorful. It's the same with Egyptians. Everybody's like, oh, everything was rock. No, everything actually had a coat of paint on it. Yeah. Well, and people think medieval castles were all stony and covered in moss. And it's like, no, most, if you were living in a castle, what you friggin' did with it was you whitewashed the walls because it kept the water out. Yep. And and so most medieval castles, like when you think of a and d castle up on the hill, it was not brown and stony or gray and stony. It was white, no, like bright enough, white. It's one of the few times the Excalibur Casino is right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe that's the show title. I don't know. Oh, God, Excalibur. Oh, my, why? Oh, my God, Jonathan, when you're right, you're right. I have my moments. I have my moments. I love Excalibur. I've stayed there so many times, Jonathan. Oh, I've stayed there so I, many times. I don't times. mind staying at Excalibur, but let me tell you, you know where things go wrong? Circus, circus. That shit will haunt you. <laughs> I can't sleep if I have to walk through Circus, circus. <laughs> it was supposed to get a remodel and become very, uh, very like Venice. No, the Soleil theme is inspired. the problem, Robert. The theme is the problem. <laughs> Another oh, thing about Oculus. Why, why did weird, I have children? Weird I fascination with circus, cir- uh, with the circus. Like, what, what was that? Yeah, that's true. There was a big deal about that back in the eighties, weren't there? Yeah, yeah, the eighties, man, they were a magical time. They were a magical time. All right, well, I, I think so we're what's done. What's next? What's next? Never say never again. Oh lordy! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Your time has finally come. God help us all. You know what? You know what? You know what? You know what? I'm 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 very 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 pleased about Jonathan. Just like my friend Robert was a magnificent bastard and got me to watch an awful movie intermittently, I am going to be your Robert magnificent bastard and get you to watch this awful movie. And and now now you have a connection with it with something very very happy and positive and and like our friendship and all that. And I want to drill that into you that our friendship is distilled into never say never again. And should you need to reminisce about me in a pleasant way, you have to watch that movie now. And that is the experience I want. The, the most and disgusting to- aspect of that movie, by the way, is the fact that it made money. Just FYI. <laughs> so I want you to watch it and hate it. And I want you to watch it again years from now and hate it even then. But just think that f- somewhere, somewhere I'm just laughing hysterically that I got you to watch that movie again because it gave you a happy memory. You know the other disgusting part about that movie that drives me up the damn wall? Mm. Friggin' Irving Kirshner directed it. 
He made the the best Star Wars movie ever. Jonathan he also made this. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, man. We'll 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 talk about that next time. God help us. It's the man that brought us Robocop too. I got opinions on that, but this isn't no time to Robocop. <laughs> well, we will return in two weeks with Never Say Never Again. Hopefully I make it through that one. I don't have fond memories, Robert. I don't have high hopes. Hopefully 2020 doesn't throw more more crap at us because, oh, my God. No, I feel like, I feel like Never Say Never Again is the the theme for 2020. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Let's move on to a year in the life. It's now time for our year in the life segment where we look at what we deep dove a year ago and we talk about it again. So what happened a little, I guess it would be a little over a year ago now, right? Well, we got a twofer because of uh, because of last episode. So, yeah. forgot my dice episode sixty five, putting a microscope to it, and forgot my dice episode sixty six, kind of half dabbing. Uh, we talked about microscope and photosynthesis. God, has it been a year since we talked about microscope? Yes, it has. Yes, that's it has. surreal, so, man. I have certainly played it since then. I made a D and D setting out of it, and it's awesome. And you should play it more. <laughs> Move it, and I know. You haven't, so moving on. Uh, yeah, uh, played a lot of photosynthesis, actually. Ditto. I, I got it from the library. Did I, no, I got it from the library to do that review, actually. So, yeah, it, it's it lovely good. how streamlined it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, my buddy Brandon. Hi, Brandon. He informed me he hasn't been listening to the podcast because he listens to it while he's driving and doing errands. And guess what? Thanks, Rona. Yeah, no kidding. But he was asking me for a good board game for his kiddos, and uh, I, I gave him some, and he's like, I saw photosynthesis at Target. Is that good? I'm like, yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's fabulous. Fab. There's a reason it won some industry awards, because it's a fantastic game. Very well yeah. put together, very streamlined, and it holds up so well. And it's also a looker on the table. And it's also a good game to play with the kiddos. Anything else you want to talk about a year ago? No, man. I, I I haven't listened to those episodes because, again, I tend to listen to podcasts when I'm out running errands. And I only go to Costco like every other week now because there you go. Because thanks, Rona. That's like the only time I get out of the house these days in a car is yeah. when I go to Costco. Ain't that the truth. I used to roam around my library and listen to podcasts and look at books, but I don't do that now. Curbside service, though, they're talking about it. Maybe that'll happen soon. I hope so. <sighs> I got to switch now. There's so many games I want to try, Jonathan, but yeah. Anyway, let's end this segment. Sorry to bring it down. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the year life, which brings us to the end of this segment, which means it's time for another short break. And when we return, we will deep diving a little something, something for the Rona. Pandemic Iberia. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. 
Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And on today's show, in honor of the Rona, we're going to be fighting diseases in pandemic Iberia. It's the mid-19th century, and the Iberian Peninsula is awash in malaria, typhus, cholera, and yellow fever. As members of the Second Royal Philanthropic Expedition, you must stop these four diseases from spreading. Pandemic Iberia is a standalone game in which you can experience historical twist to the cooperative gameplay that made the original Pandemic an instant classic. Take on one of seven roles as you travel throughout the peninsula researching each disease. You will travel by carriage, boat, and train to help the Iberian populace. In addition to treating patients and sharing knowledge, purify the water supply to slow the spread of disease, or build a railroad network to make travel between hospitals more efficient. Whatever direction you take, you win or lose as a team. All right, Jonathan. Would it help to briefly, very, very briefly go over the original pandemic? People played Pandemic by now. If they listened to us, they played Pandemic. Never mind. That's a, that's well, a terrible think, idea. But I can just in case. Well, you move around the map. You're collecting cards. If you get four cards of the same color at a hospital, you cure disease. Yeah. It's real simple. You do four actions. You draw two cards. You infect the cities. Rinse and repeat next play. There you go. Okay. So tell me, because I, I already, in the in the copy here, I've seen a couple of twists. How does this differ or add to or whatever from base Pandemic? Well, I, I mean, honestly, the, the biggest takeaway I get from the game as a whole is that even compared to the base pandemic, this is a much more cooperative experience right from the get-go. The setup is much like pandemic. It's essentially the same concept. You have a map, you populate the map with diseases, you populate the map with your players, but you're having a conversation when you first get your players out, more so than you do in the normal pandemic. How so? Because you're 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 not locked into starting at the CDC. Oh. And you start based on the cards that you get. So you you look at your city cards and each of the city cards has a a foundation date on it and the foundation's date is going to be used to figure out who goes first. But on top of it when you're putting your your players out onto the uh onto the the board you do it by looking at the city cards in your hand and selecting one of those cities pictured on the card and placing your pawn there. And the job that you have may dictate where you want your pawn to go, but depending on the city cards the other players at the table have, it gives you an opportunity to kind of start covering the map right from the get-go, which means you're having a conversation before you even start the game. All right, so obviously this... So according to the, the copy, or the not the... Oh, it's the mid-19th century. So yeah, we're talking about like the 1800s, so like the wild west times in spain so cool coolness i need to learn god i need to learn more about spain i'm just getting through medieval spain darn it <clears throat> anyway so uh obviously you can't fly that's not an option here so no no in fact you cannot fly travel between cities is restricted uh somewhat uh until you start laying down railroads which is a different action that you can do in this game based on the original pandemic because you see, one of the things that you'll notice when you set this game up is that there's two markers that go out. 
purification tokens and railroad tokens. And those are tokens that we have not seen in previous pandemic games. One of them, the purification tokens, is uh, uh, related to a role, the Argonomist. And the Argonomist has an extra action that allows them to purify water. When you purify water, you get to place one of those water tokens in the region in between cities. So you know how the, the, the cities have lines coming from them connecting them? Yeah. Anything within those lines is a region. And if a disease is about to hit one of those cities connected to that region, you can use a purify water token to take out the disease and prevent the spread. Hmm. The rails are interesting as well. That's another new action that you have that you don't have in the original pandemic. You have the option of making a railway. And if you're the uh, railwayman, then you have the option of making more than one railway in a turn. And the great part is any number of cities that are connected by a railway, if you travel by rail, you can go from one all the way to the end of the line, which means that after you've had an opportunity to get into the game a bit, you can zip around that map pretty handily. Oh, that's cute. It's like Ticket to Ride, but with disease, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And because you're on a peninsula, there's also a role called the Sailor. And if you happen to be on the coast and you're moving by ship, you don't spend a card and you get to take a passenger and you get to zip around to any of the coastal cities. Oh, so it's kind of like the dispatcher in the original one. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Okay, okay. I can dig it. I can dig it. I like that you build the trains. Trains are cool. Yes, agreed. So so right off the bat, we're dealing with a lot more interactive roles that are going to prompt a lot more table talk because you've got between the railwayman and the sailor and the arg- uh, argonomist, you've got a situation there where it's going to take teamwork to move around the board in an efficient manner. So in this, it says you're trying to stop the diseases from spreading. Are you actually curing them in this, or are you just trying to... No, you're not. That's another major change. You're not curing them. You're trying to research them enough that you can basically treat them more efficiently. Is that reflected in the game, or is it still like regular pandemic, where you go to cities, you drop enough stuff, and then you have researched the disease enough, and you flip the thing over, and it's not a big deal anymore? From from a gameplay perspective, that's essentially what's happening. You've got research markers... And you're trying to get your your um, research to a level where you can then effectively treat the disease. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well that answered all the questions I had because yeah, they mentioned they mentioned carriage. Carriage, I assume, is just normal movement. Yeah, and then yeah, coast and rail. So yeah, okay, okay, that's cool. Yeah, the the roles in this one are, are quite a bit different. You've got the argon the argonomist, the politician, the nurse, the railwayman, the Royal Academy scientist uh, who can also do the uh, water purification. Uh, the rural doctor or uh, the sailor. Neat. So is there anything else different about the game, Jonathan? Those are the big ones. Those are the big changes. But it really does change the way you interact with the basic engine, which which is the big reason why I love this. And this, this I think, is my favorite version of the game. And then I, I assume the wind condition is the end, at the end is the same thing, like uh, research all the diseases. And if you do that, then you win. And if the computer obliterates you before that then you lose yeah pretty much or the game sorry computer the game obliterates you is it the same loss conditions like eight pandemics or eight outbreaks or yeah yeah the loss conditions in the basic engine are identical but that said there are some additional challenges that you can do in the rule book which are really neat the first is called the influx of patience challenge 
This challenge simulates the rush of patients into the new fledgling hospitals in the 19th century Iberian Peninsula. In this period, hospitals were built for the treatment of specific diseases, and people tried to reach these cities in order to receive it. Oh, so how does that, how does that reflect in game mechanics? Well, building hospitals now has an additional benefit uh, within the game. When you build a hospital in this mode, after placing the hospital onto the board, you get to put two purification tokens that were underneath the hospital into the general supply, and they're now available for use. Otherwise, they're locked behind it. Uh, So if you don't build hospitals, you don't get water purification. And you get to remove disease cubes from the city where you built the hospital and return them to the supply. You also have to be moving patients into the hospitals, essentially. Speaking of the rule book, how, how, how is it? I mean, it's pandemic. There's not a whole lot to go over. Setup is, is covered on two pages with lots of pictures. Play is covered on another two pages with lots of pictures and examples on how the research of the diseasing wor- or diseases works, how the water purification works, how the railroads work, and it's very straightforward. Um, each of the additional game modes gets its own page to explain uh, how that particular game mode works. And then the last four pages are dedicated to um, explaining the event cards, which are a little bit different than the, the core game, and then explaining the roles, which are definitely different from those in the core game. Is it the standard issue pandemic components of cubes and little meeples and whatnot? Well, that's the thing about Pandemic Iberia. It got the deluxe treatment. So, first of all, all of the markers and whatnot uh, for research are, are cut meeples that are in the shape of microscopes or in the shape of the diseases and stuff like that. And it's really pretty. There's silk screening on several of the tokens, which gives them a real beautiful look. Um, and all of the cubes are wood as opposed to the plastic that you get in, in the more modern versions of the pandemic. You also get these, these beautiful cardboard tokens for really nice thick cardstock. It's, it's just a, it's a real deluxe feel to them. And you get this tiny little art book, which is um, basically sketches that became the art in the game. And it's really nice. It's really unique. Uh, additionally, the board itself is absolutely stunning. The artwork on the board is is worlds beyond Pandemic. That island? Take a look at the design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the map right now. By the way, that island off the coast and the yellow uh, zone, I guess, is that Ibiza or is that like Malta? I think that's a Biza. Nice. Let's see if it says. Yeah, I can't zoom in that far on most of these pictures. No, it's uh, Palma de Mallorca. Well, that's a city at least. I, let me see what island that is. Palma de Mallorca is the capital and largest Mallorca. city of the autonomous community of the Beldric Islands in Spain. There you go. There you go. Well, I got a Wikipedia spiral for later. Sweet. Found it in 124 BC. Wow. That's some old city there. I love Spain, man. I'd go back and live there in a heartbeat. Yeah, I wouldn't mind visiting. So the components are sweet. Everything is sweet. The art design is is particularly impressive. This is a gorgeous production. Is there anything off in the execution of this game? Absolutely not. This, like I said, this is my favorite version of Pandemic. It takes the original. It introduces some elements to create a better teamwork atmosphere. And those elements are designed in such a way that they they kind of help to prevent the alpha gamer that can rear its head in standard pandemic. It wraps it all up with brilliant graphic design and gorgeous art and puts it together in an absolutely fine package. It is 
like I said, my favorite version of Pandemic and the perfect game to play during the Rona. I like the train aspect of it. I think that's a really slick idea. Yeah, it, it, it changes the way you travel. It forces you to have conversations about how you want to get around the board. Yeah, well, and just the fact that the train tracks itself can take different routes at, through different playthroughs, it means because Pandemic's random enough that there's, I don't think there's a way where there's just an ideal train set up every time. You know what I mean? No, there's I mean, not. I mean, generally, right. you'll probably want to have a line that goes north, south, and east and west, but it doesn't have to go through all of the exact same places every time, which, um, yeah, no, that would make, that would add a nice level of randomization to the game, I think. Well, now I'm curious, and I know they sell this at Target. I was just there today, darn Oh, I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'm buying a slip and slide. Hell yeah. Oh, they've got Iberia at uh, Target? I thought they had Iberia at Target. I thought I saw it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It was out of print for a long time, and it just recently came back. Now I'm going to double check that. I swear to God, I saw it there today. Oh, it's Fall of Rome. Oh, not Iberia. Oh! Fall of Rome's fun, too. Oh, woo! Iberia's better. Free RPG Day is coming up. There you go. Now I know what I'll buy at one of the places I go to. Ha ha. Huzzah! All right. That was that was riveting radio. Okay, so I would I would assume, much like the original pandemic, uh, maxing out your players is probably ideal. Yeah, absolutely. Like the original pandemic, it works with all player counts. Um, starting at three, I believe, is what it suggests. Uh, no, two. Starts at two. It suggests two to five players, and it works at all player counts, but truthfully, the game hums when it's at uh, at max. And Jonathan, is there any one last thing you want to say about the game? You know, I played a lot of Pandemic in my day. Tons of the base game, tons of Reign of Cthulhu, tons of Fall of Rome, tons of Rising Tide, tons of Iberia, and this is the one that always stands out. This is the one that I keep coming back to, because it's... It's just it creates such a team oriented atmosphere. And that's really what separates it from core pandemic. It is fantastic. And really it goes to show how, how strong that original pandemic design was. So that brings us to the end of our review of Pandemic Iberia, my favorite pandemic game. Which brings us, Robert, to the end of the episode. But you have something you want to try. Yes, yes. So uh I just checked our iTunes. We have two reviews, so thank you for whoever did that. It will not show the written... I, I take it they're not bad then? <laughs> well, it will not show the written reviews until we get five because that is the magic number. Or I just can't see it on this interface because I might be doing something silly. I will go look it out on my phone that I'm much more familiar with. I'm doing it on my computer right now. Regardless, uh, I want to try something new. If we can get groovy reviews on the iTunes, uh, I think... I will steal what they do on the Cracked Podcast and start reading them aloud at the end of the episodes. So, yes, if you're listening to this, go leave us a review on iTunes. And like a parrot, you could get me to repeat anything you say as long as it's a five-star review. I'm just saying. (laughs) Hell, I might have to go leave a review now. (laughs) So, yes. And I know the magic number is five. We need to get like five reviews. So, but yes, if you have not written a review of us on the iTunes yet, I will parrot anything you write as long as it's a five, heck, even a four-star review. So yes, please go do that. That will be our new segment, Make Robert Repeat Words That Other People Wrote Down. I, it, maybe we'll come up with a catchier name later. That's fair. I like it. <laughs> I like it. 
Well, that brings us to the end of episode 90 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. It's good to be back. I have missed you guys. I uh, It's good to be recording again. Once again, join us on again, all the we, We've been recording on our schedule. I mean, our last episode well, was... No, we're a little bit off. No, 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 no. No, we recorded, we recorded 88 when George Floyd, like the day it happened... Um, and then we just didn't release the episode, but we recorded the, the black lives matter episode on our normal recording date. And then we're doing this one a week early of all things. Cause I'm going to be on vacation next week. So what are you talking about? You, this is like condensed. You've got distilled. I don't know, man. Time has no meaning anymore. It is 2020 I sit in my office and I work. It is 2020. That's true. I'll give you that. All right. Move. Carry on, Jonathan. You are correct. <laughs> like legitimately, it is surreal how just a short drive to and from work or going out on the weekend to a soccer game or something like that really just kind of helps to differentiate one from the other. I'm just always home now. I'm always home. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Jonathan, your state can totally open up again. It's fine. Even though you've had a spike in cases, the biggest one ever. It's fine. Right. Yeah. 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 Sure. It's great. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. How are you guys? I'm I'm great, man. <laughs> well, once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you and how you're surviving the Rona. And Robert, any final thoughts, my friend? Just wanted to say again, for the record, in the last episode, I mentioned uh, not talking about race. And whatnot is is kind of inherently privileged and racist, so that's that is going to change on this podcast. The the, the story about gamma that is the first taste of that, but yeah, avoiding talking about that just perpetuates badness. So I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm not going to hide behind we're a positive podcast because you know what? Like you said, sometimes you have to have the uncomfortable conversation to move along. So I mean, I'm not going to get all like angsty and whatnot but we're, we're not going to avoid some of those topics like we we have been because that's uh it's not cool i've decided looking at you origins do better yeah seriously well gamma i should say looking at you gamma, gamma yeah do better dude gen con was on top of it yeah they handled it well yeah yeah a lot of companies handled it very well i mean i wish some of them would you know instead of just giving money to charities which is nice don't get me wrong i wish some of them would commit to better hiring practices but you know Every day at a time. I'm looking at you, Activision Blizzard. You just yeah. threw money at it. Hold them accountable. Yeah. Anyway, that's my final thought. Well, that leaves us with only one thing. And again, as 2020 rages on in its anger. Yeah, dude. Dude, World War Three, <laughs> man. Hurricane. Hashtag World in War Three. Hurricane that is 2020. Uh, once again, Bill and Ted just nailing it. Nailing it. With be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. I was reading like China and India had a spat on the border today and a whole bunch of their soldiers got killed and apparently no shots were fired. They just beat each other with clubs and rocks. I mean, 2020, like, can we pump the brakes just for the love of God, please? Like, no more. And it's always right at the end of the month. It's always right at the end of the month. There's just another friggin' thing. That it's like, come on, please, just give us a minute. Don't forget, in the original Pacific Rim, the year was 2020 when the kaiju came. Uh, Just to the left, why I? You know what? You know what? Yeah, 
Yeah, you know what? I'll be back. Feels right on track for this year, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. This episode comes out on on June thirtieth, uh, and yeah, Meteor Day. Ah. <laughs> uh. Can we just pump the brakes 2020, please? Can we just... Let's just take July off. That'd be fun. We'll blow up some fireworks. It'll be great. Have a barbecue. A lonely barbecue. And then we'll, we'll just call it a day. We'll just take a break. We'll come back at it. More more awful can happen in August. But let's just, let's just take July off. Can we take July off? Can we make that deal, Jonathan? Is that a way? Is there a way to do that? You don't have to make that deal with me. I'm right behind you on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that is what happens. <laughs> I'm going to knock on wood. I'm out. Peace, everybody. (laughs) We'll see you again in a couple weeks. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 